Greetings, this is podcast number 72 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to discuss the upcoming critically important battle in Congress over raising the federal minimum wage. We need to be ready to counter the inevitable barrage of right-wing propaganda that'll be directed against any such effort. Let's get right into it. The Democrats have proclaimed that, before 100 hours have gone by in the new Congress this January, they will, among other things, raise the federal minimum wage. The bill, which has been languishing for years in the right-wing controlled Congress, is called the Fair Minimum Wage Act. It provides for three hikes, from the present $5.15 to $5.85 60 days after enactment, to $6.55 one year later, which would be in 2008, and then to $7.25 a year after that in 2009. Unless the GOP leadership decides to beat a tactical retreat on this issue, there will be a battle royale in Congress. Let's go through this step by step. My sources are the Economic Policy Institute, the New York Times, FairEconomy.org, CommonDreams.org, the McClatchy Tribune News Service, Newsweek Magazine, the Miller Center at the University of Virginia, MarketWatch.com, a column by AFL-CIO President John Sweeney in the Chicago Tribune, the Library of Congress website, and the Vatican website. To start off with, you should be aware of how long overdue this minimum wage increase is. At the beginning of this month, a record was set for the longest period of time ever without a raise in the minimum wage, since the minimum wage was first established in 1938. It's been over nine years and three months since the minimum wage was increased. Imagine if you hadn't gotten a raise in nine years. Worse than that, the fact is, right-wingers don't even want a minimum wage at all. Quote, Murray Weidenbaum, chairman of President Reagan's first Council of Economic Advisors, has acknowledged they wanted to eliminate the minimum wage. But as the Wall Street Journal reported, because that would have been such a painful political process, Mr. Weidenbaum says that he and other officials were content to let inflation turn the minimum wage into an effective dead letter. Close quote. Now, long-time listeners of Blast the Right can probably hear in their head the stentorian boast of Rush Limbaugh. Roosevelt is dead! His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. Yes, the minimum wage is one of the dead Roosevelt's policies that live on that Russia and the right wing want to do something about. How much has the minimum wage deteriorated? Is it an effective dead letter yet? Well, if the minimum wage had kept pace with inflation since 1968, it would be $9.28 now instead of $5.15. It's almost been cut in half in effective purchasing power. Make no mistake about it, our minimum wage puts someone squarely into the full-blown poverty arena. Quote, 
a full-time worker at minimum wage makes just $10,712 a year, less than $900 a month to cover housing, food, health care, transportation, and other expenses. Today, family health coverage costs more than a minimum wage worker's entire annual income. Close quote. And it's not as if everyone's wages have fallen behind. No, those who set the salaries have done very well for themselves. Quote, CEOs have enriched themselves and their families for generations to come, while workers struggle to support themselves and their children. The highest paid CEO in 1968 made as much as 127 average workers and 239 minimum wage workers. The highest paid CEO in 2005 made as much as 7,443 average workers and 23,282 minimum wage workers, close quote. A critical element of any progressive agenda, of any social justice agenda, is raising the federal minimum wage. No single action could lift more people out of poverty as quickly. And not just minimum wage workers, quote, the minimum wage sets the wage floor. As the floor has sunk below poverty levels, millions of workers find themselves with paychecks above the minimum, but not above poverty wages. Close quote. Raising the minimum wage will help a lot more than just those making the minimum wage. It will also help those with paychecks above the minimum, but still in poverty. Because there is a rippling upward effect. Not all the way. Someone making $100,000 a year isn't going to get a raise because the minimum wage was increased. But someone working at, say, a dollar above minimum wage and still then, of course, in poverty, a member of the full-time working poor, that person would get a raise as well and so on up the ladder until the rippling effect ends. The numbers are huge. 6.6 .6 million workers will be affected directly and another 8.3 million indirectly. The right wing opposes, of course, anything that would achieve more economic justice in the United States, anything that would even slightly decrease the share of the nation's income and wealth that the richest currently hold. The richest 400 American families have as much wealth as the bottom 57 million American families. Yes, you heard me right. Another jaw-dropping stat is that the richest 1% in this country control nearly one-third of the country's wealth. How much more does this 1% crave? Half? Three-quarters? Is there any limit to their greed? Well, greed is a powerful motivating force indeed, and the right comes up with all sorts of phony arguments about why raising the minimum wage is a bad idea. We'll examine three of the main ones. First would be that if you raise the minimum wage, it will result in fewer minimum wage jobs that some of those now employed at the minimum wage will lose their jobs. As with most factual assertions by the right, they're plain wrong. Even though the federal minimum wage hasn't been raised since September 1997, many states 17 of them and the District of Columbia have raised their own minimum wage laws. 
a major recent study concluded that in the states which raised their minimum wage levels, quote, wages are higher and employment is no lower in these states than they would have been without these actions, close quote. A former vice chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Binder, claims that there has been, quote, in the last 10 to 15 years, an accumulation of pretty convincing evidence that the employment problem is not very significant, close quote. I'm sure right-wingers will cite other studies they've conducted that allegedly support their position. To me, any such competing studies are irrelevant. Instead, let's follow right-wing logic, or should I say illogic. Raising the minimum wage causes loss of jobs, so don't raise the minimum. Okay, why don't we lower the minimum wage to create more jobs? Even better, let's lower everybody's pay and we can hire more people everywhere. Do all you right-wingers agree we should do that with your job, lower your pay? With this right-wing reasoning, workers should never seek any wage increases, period. They should strike for lower wages. Gee, what a wonderful world that would be, for right-wingers at least. And you know, when you really think about it, what these right-wingers are arguing is patently absurd, the ones who say there should be no minimum wage at all. They're saying if there's people working now full-time but still in poverty, the way to help them is to cause them to have even less money, to eliminate the minimum wage so they'll work even cheaper. How does that make any sense? It's like, if someone was slowly dying of malnutrition and the solution you advocated was not to give them more food but to cut the amount of food that they get. That'll help them, all right? A second right-wing argument against raising the minimum wage will dispose of in short order that raising the minimum wage will increase inflation. I believe the better studies show it doesn't, but again, dueling studies aren't the key to this question. The key is to understand that the proper and moral price for a product is that which reflects a wage for the workers who made it sufficient to support them and their families. Anything less is a slave labor price, a blood money price. So even if inflation does increase slightly, too bad. That's the price we all should gladly pay to achieve some slight measure of economic justice. And furthermore, if we shouldn't raise the minimum wage because that'll increase inflation, well then, business owners should never increase their prices because that, of course, raises inflation as well. Will you right-wingers agree that businesses should never raise prices because of that apparently to you all-important goal of not chancing an increase in inflation? And of course, again, you right-wingers should never take a wage increase because of its pro-inflationary effects. Let's take a break, and when we return, we'll go over the third right-wing argument against raising the minimum wage, the argument that truly reveals their animus against the working poor. So you wear the vestments of ill-gotten legacy Bankrolled by CEOs and died by Christian destiny You give us empty words and flags to rally around But the rest of it don't seem to trickle down To streets of hopeless faces, mortgage and foreclosed Downsized part-time jobs forsaken by the end. 
So what's the third main right-wing argument against raising the minimum wage? As you might expect, it's one they trot out every time somebody wants to help anyone who's suffering. It's the blame the victim approach. The right wing's underlying credo of social Darwinism posits that the rich are rich because they work hard and are moral. The poor are poor because they're lazy and immoral. For example, listen to Bill O'Reilly tell us about the victims of Hurricane Katrina. Every American kid should be required to watch videotape of the poor in New Orleans and see how they suffered because they couldn't get out of town. And then every teacher should tell the students, if you refuse to learn, if you refuse to work hard, if you become addicted, if you live a gangster life, you will be poor and powerless just like many of those in New Orleans. All minimum wage workers, no doubt, refuse to learn, refuse to work hard, become addicted, and live a gangster life. Right, Bill? Condemnation of the poor, blaming them for their situation, is always a surefire crowd-pleaser among right-wingers. See podcast number 20 for a full treatment of this noxious social Darwinism philosophy. How does the social Darwinism approach work here in the minimum wage situation? Well, what right-wingers say is, and I've heard them say this with a straight face, they say, these people had choices in life. They didn't choose to get an education and better themselves, so they have only themselves to blame that they're in low-paying jobs. It's a result of their own free choices in life that they can't now feed their kids. Now, how illogical is that? If these people in question had gone to school and gotten higher-paying jobs, then someone else would be in the poverty wage level job. Someone has to do those jobs. They're some of the jobs that are the most important. They're cleaning up our office buildings. They're taking care of our grandparents and nursing homes. These low-paying jobs are going to be done no matter what happens to the people who are in them now. Even if all of them go get PhDs and become nuclear physicists. Also, why do right-wingers assume that everyone could have pursued more schooling and landed higher-paying jobs? Some people don't have the intellectual ability to do so. Others may have been frustrated by life's circumstances beyond their control. And even if, for the sake of argument, they simply chose not to, does that by any stretch of logic, let alone application of a minimal level of compassion, lead to the conclusion that it's appropriate for them to be paid less than a subsistence level wage. The issue is, and you have to keep coming back to this, should anyone work a full 40-hour week and not be able to feed their children. In progressive circles, there's a concept called the living wage. That is simply a minimum wage that is high enough to provide a family of three or four the necessities of life. Anyone supporting a living wage would certainly support the more modest increase in the minimum wage proposed by Democrats in Congress. To show how absolutely off the wall these right-wingers are, consider three historical sources of support for a living wage. Citing one or more of these could prove quite effective in any discussion of the minimum wage issue. The first source, which I'll name afterwards, wrote the following, quote, 
It is but equity that those who feed, clothe, and lodge the whole body of the people should have such a share of the produce of their own labor as to be themselves tolerably well-fed, clothed, and lodged. Close quote. Who wrote that? None other than the granddaddy of all conservative economics, Adam Smith, in 1776, in his book, The Wealth of Nations. Now, let's flash forward a century or so to the early 1900s. Here's Teddy Roosevelt, a former Republican president, endorsing the concept of a living wage. This recording was made in the early days of sound recording, so the quality is not great, but I think you can make it out well enough. We stand for a living wage. Wages are subnormal if they fail to provide a living for those who devote their time and energy to industrial occupation. The monetary equivalent of a living wage varies according to local conditions, but must include enough to secure the elements of a normal standard of living. A standard high enough to make morality possible, to provide for education and recreation, to care for immature members of the family, to maintain the family during periods of sickness, and to permit a reasonable saving for old age. Maybe I should repeat it because if you're listening while driving or otherwise engaged, you may have missed some of it. It's important and worth repeating in any event. Roosevelt said, quote, We stand for a living wage. Wages are subnormal if they fail to provide a living for those who devote their time and energy to industrial occupations. The monetary equivalent of a living wage varies according to local conditions, but must include enough to secure the elements of a normal standard of living, a standard high enough to make morality possible, to provide for education and recreation, to care for immature members of the family, to maintain the family during periods of sickness, and to permit a reasonable saving for old age. Close quote. It's interesting to note, although not particularly helpful to quote to a right-winger at least, that the other Roosevelt we had as president, and Teddy's distant cousin, FDR, also implicitly endorsed the living wage element of social justice. FDR framed it in the concept of what liberty means. An old English judge said once upon a time, necessitous men are not free men. Liberty requires opportunity to make a living, a living decent according to the standard of the time, a living which gives man not only enough to live by, but something to live for. In the present-day United States, Minimum wage workers aren't paid enough even to survive, let alone to have Teddy Roosevelt's normal standard of living or Franklin Delano Roosevelt's something to live for. Finally, the third historical figure worth pointing out to right-wingers, especially Catholics and other Christians who might be influenced by the official Catholic Church teachings, is the late Pope John Paul II. He was one of the staunchest anti-communist figures of the 20th century. He was not only anti-communist, 
He was anti-socialist and anti-paternalistic state. Yet, he strongly supported the concept of a living wage. He quoted approvingly the following written by an earlier pope, quote, Every individual has a natural right to procure what is required to live, and the poor can procure that in no other way than what they can earn through their work. If through necessity or fear of a worse evil, the workman accepts harder conditions because an employer or contractor will afford no better, he is made the victim of force and injustice. Close quote. Force and injustice. In other words, it's violence. It's economic violence to pay someone less than a living wage. Only someone truly desperate would take a job that pays less than a living wage, less than they need to live on. Taking advantage of such desperate people through economic violence is immoral. Okay, let's discuss the politics of this minimum wage issue a bit. I'm happy to say that, like on so many other issues, we progressives have got the public on our side. 68% of Americans say raising the minimum wage should be a top priority, according to a recent Newsweek poll. In the midterm elections we just had, every state initiative to raise the minimum wage passed by huge margins, up to 74%. In Ohio, Arizona, Colorado, Missouri, Montana, and Nevada, not exactly bastions of the loony left. Indeed, Fully 28 states now in the District of Columbia have instituted minimum wage laws above the shameful $5.15 federal level. Looking abroad a bit, quote, Ireland and England have minimum wages over $10 calculated in U.S. dollars. Both countries have strong economies with lower unemployment rates in recent years than the United States. The Economic Policy Institute reports most other developed countries either have implemented automatic increases based on rising prices or require regular meetings of boards authorized to increase the minimum wage based on factors such as rising prices and economic growth. Close quote. Wow. Can you believe those evil European democratic socialists? How they hurt the poor automatically every year with a cost-of-living increase in the minimum wage. Every year, more and more minimum wage workers are losing jobs in those countries. Isn't that so, you right-wingers listening? Every year, more workers are losing their jobs in these anti-worker, democratic socialist nations because the minimum wage increases there automatically every year. Why, oh why, can't the cruel Europeans treat their working poor benevolently, like we do, like our right-wingers advocate, by not raising the minimum wage for almost a decade at a time, by keeping their wages real low? That'll help the poor. Isn't that so, Mr. and Mrs. Right-winger? You know, I just have to say it bluntly. Every time a right-winger expresses concern for the poor, their words disgust me to the core of my being. Remember the blast the right axiom. Whatever a right-winger says, the exact opposite is true. Tell any such right-winger that their declared concern for the well-being of low-income workers is very touching. 
but then inform them that you are well aware of the ironclad rule of thumb regarding right-wingers and the poor. Whatever helps the poor by giving them a larger slice of the economic pie, the right-wing claims will hurt them. Whatever hurts the poor by reducing their slice of the economic pie, the right-wing claims will help them. Here we have the former. Raising the minimum wage helps the poor, but the right-wing claims it will hurt them. Now, who are you going to believe? Right-wingers or the unions that represent low-income and other workers who consistently put as a top priority raising the minimum wage? Right-wingers or the working poor themselves? Go ask minimum wage workers. Do you want the minimum wage increased? You'll get a yes. Tell them, wait. It'll hurt you because your employer won't be able to employ all of you. Some of you will lose your jobs. The workers will laugh at you since they know they work so hard that if their boss fires some of them, the work won't get done. And the boss knows that, so he's not going to fire anyone. And even if he does, they'll tell you, fine, the ones let go can find a minimum wage job somewhere else. We need to make enough to support our families. Here's the final nail in the coffin of right-wing morality. All these years while the right-wing was claiming that increasing the minimum wage of the working poor wouldn't help them, would increase inflation, would cost jobs, the right-wing Congress voted itself eight pay raises. Talk about greed-fueled hypocrisy. Let me close by saying I certainly support the Democratic bill to raise the minimum wage to $7.25 by 2009, but truth be told, it's inadequate, a baby first step at best. I agree with Holly Sklar, the progressive economic analyst who wrote, quote, Congress should refuse pay increases until the minimum wage is raised enough to keep workers out of poverty instead of in poverty, close quote. Who knows if Democrats will ever have the intestinal fortitude to do this? We'll see. One thing, though, is for sure. Even this less-than-totally-adequate Democratic effort is a major improvement over the continued inaction that would have been the case had the right wing retained control of Congress. One thing you can always count on with the right, they'll never do anything at all that helps the average Joe or Jill. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to my podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. Since my appeal for votes last week, about 50 of you came out and voted, and I thank you. We need about 200 more. Can we do it? A special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board. A holiday shopping suggestion. What could be a better stocking stuffer than a Blast the Right CD? Two compilation CDs are available. They're $5 each, my cost, from CafePress.com. You can also download the files for free and burn your own CDs. Details of all this are on a page linked to off the main podcast homepage, right by the two little pictures of the Blast the Right CDs. Housekeeping notes. A listener with the initials BF 
When I reply to you, your email keeps bouncing back, so write to me from a different address. Also, there's something wrong with the Blast the Right MySpace page. I cannot respond to messages. So if you want a response to a message that you want to send me, send the email. Rational at Adelphia.net. That I can respond to. Now a word from the Progressive Podcast Network. The Progressive Podcast Network. Now we are the media. Listen to your media. Take your country back. ProgressivePodcastNetwork.org Music credits. The break music was Kill the Poor by Matthew Grimm and the Red Smear. We'll close with a bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on the music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on the data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Special thanks to Tom Hartman for the Rush Limbaugh audio clip. I love getting all your email, so keep it coming in. Write to me, rational at adelphia.net. If you prefer, you can leave a message for me to play on Blast the Right. Just dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also reach me on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. Leave a message there also for me to play on the podcast. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. We'll work for food, we'll die for oil, we'll kill for power, and to us the spoils. The billionaires get to pay less tax, the working poor get to fall through the cracks. So let them eat jelly beans, let them eat cake, let them eat sh- Whatever it takes, they can join the Air Force or join the Corps if they can't make it here anymore. So that's how it is. That's what we got If the president wants to admit it or not You can read it in the paper Read it on the wall Hear it on the wind if you're listening at all Get out of that limo And look us in the eye Call us on a cell phone Tell us all why And Dayton, Ohio